ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Coming to you live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios from East River 9. Here now are the Killer Bees, Jill Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. Whoa. You about to get all stung up. What up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. Joe George is out here with us. John Belmer is back at Gal. And it is a Friday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. We are broadcasting live from East River 9, presented by General Ben. Not only are we broadcasting live from East River 9, we're hanging out outside because the weather is beautiful. It when is. was the last time we could say that? Sunglasses are on. Sunglasses are activated for today's show. Nice little breeze, too. They said for the next couple days, 10 to 15 mile an hour breeze. Uh, temperatures highs in the 80s Sunday morning in the 50s this is what i'm talking about about october in houston it is a beautiful little change since this cold uh, this little they called it a cold front yeah. came through with the rain you got a hoodie on did you think it was gonna be like 40 degrees first or? of all it's sleeveless second of all i thought we were going to be inside Those are definitely where sleeves the, underneath <laughs> the sweatshirt and because you love to critique me uh the inside is where we normally are where it's a little chilly yeah and so i prepared for it <laughs> fair enough but it's beautiful come on out Hang out with us. Todd Cowles is going to be here live with us at East River 9. Uh, General Ben's going to be out here in a little bit as well. Great spot to have a bite. Great spot to have a cold beer on a Friday afternoon once you ditch work early. We can see the downtown skyline from where we're sitting. We can see the very top of Minute Maid Park if we stand up. Uh, the helicopters were out getting some aerial footage of uh, the ALDS, which, of course, begins tomorrow. We're going to be heavy Astros. Todd Cowles is going to join us somewhere around 3.30, 3.45. He's at the ballpark now. He's going to come over uh, in a little bit. Michael Rostein of ESPN.com covers the Atlanta Falcons. He'll be joining us at 4.30. And the normal Friday stuff, BZ Money. We've been killing it, by the way. Mm. Not to toot our own horn, not to pat ourselves on our back, but we're going to toot our horn and pat ourselves on our back because we've been crushing BZ Money. We were perfect last week, by the way. Who said it? Plenty of Astros to get to. But the Texans also have a game to play on Sunday. They travel to Atlanta, road game against the Falcons. This is a team that's looking to win three in a row for the first time in a long time. What's the number one thing? Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. We'll we'll compartmentalize offense, defense. Number one thing on the offensive side of the ball the Texans must do to move to 3-2 and and be above five hundred and stay tied for first place in the AFC South. I'm not going to say that they're going to have to pitch another shutout, but they got to keep C.J. clean and upright as much as possible. Uh, They're going to have another, yet another variation of the offensive line this week, and Though they haven't made anything official that I've seen, maybe you guys have seen differently, but they're going to be moving some guys around nonetheless, and and that's always concerning. But the way that they were able to scheme a week ago and avoid a sack against a very heavy pass rush team in, in Pittsburgh and do the things that they were capable of doing, if they can do something similar against Atlanta, I feel very good about the fact that Slowick and his offense and CJ uh, and everybody around him are going to be able to score points and move the football. Oh, the, the offensive line intrigues me. The, the Texans have been known to be kind of, uh, how do I want to say this, kind of uh, shrewd. They've kind of fooled some people at times. I remember, I think it was in week two when they played the Colts, they were showing an offensive line in the pregame that everybody thought was going to be the starting offensive line. I think it fooled Brooks Cabina, and they didn't use that starting offensive line. I'm very intrigued. If the Houston Texans don't play Titus Howard at left guard this week and they pull a fast one on us all, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna store that in my mind that the Houston Texans what they show you is never what is potentially going to happen because what they've shown you this week whenever they have the media availability which is a very short period of time and then they tell the media to you know kick rocks get out of town while we do the real stuff they showed Titus Howard play left guard they showed Titus back or uh, Laramie Tunsil back at left tackle of course Patterson's still gonna be your center Shaq Mason your right guard and you would think that it would be George Fant at right tackle that's what they showed you if they do anything different, I'll never trust what the Houston Texans show me again under D'Amico Ryans. And this is already an organization that's guarded with Casario. D'Amico's also very guarded. We love D'Amico, so we give him a free pass. But he's very guarded with injury. He's very guarded with who's going to play. He's very guarded with formation. All of that. So if they don't use Titus Howard at left guard this weekend, I will forever never trust the Houston Texans, which is fine. Which is fine. I like it. It's part of the gamesmanship. Remember how long it took him to name CJ the starter when everybody knew it was a no-brainer that he was the starter? And it became the never-ending story of training camp i mean it's similar and the fact that he's working with a guy that is coming from the belichick tree which is that is vintage belichick don't tell him anything tell him one thing do another you know i don't owe you anything but i do have to talk so we'll say one thing and and absolutely not believe it sometimes as brady would say so i I think it's it's part of the game gamesmanship of football and if they truly feel like that's going to give them any slight advantage this is the NFL. I mean, everybody's looking for every advantage they can get, and if that's one of them, more power to them. I, I do think their best offensive line is with uh, Titus Howard at left guard, and I understand that Titus Howard's better at right tackle than he is left guard. I understand that you paid him right tackle money. I'm with you, Blankers. I don't like moving Titus Howard around. But you haven't had Titus Howard in four games. Fans played pretty good, and the question basically comes down to, do you want Fant at right tackle and Titus at left guard, or do you want Titus at right tackle and Michael Dieter, Dieter yeah. at left guard? And I like option A more than I like option B, even conceding the fact that uh, that Titus is much better at right tackle. Uh, I was looking at some numbers today and how you can like scheme uh, – an offensive line from causing you trouble, like an average offensive line you can scheme around. I think Bobby Slowick has proven that the last two weeks. is not allowed to sack the last two weeks. But on top of that, they've also been incredibly effective. You've put up 450 yards against the Steelers, score 30 points. You do that while also not allowing a sack. You schemed up really, really well. This is going to be a tough challenge for the Texans' offense. I think this is the, the best defense they've faced since Baltimore. Quite frankly, and the numbers would back that up. You know, still small sample size, all of that. But Atlanta has a top ten total defense, and they're also their their passing defense is in the top five, which is a strength of the Houston Texans. Their strength offensively is C.J. Stroud throwing the ball through the air. It's opposite of what we thought at the beginning of the season. I think with Laramie back and with Titus Howard back that the Texans are going to have to do something on the ground. Because Atlanta defends the pass well, because Atlanta's a pretty good defense, I think offensively, I'm not saying that the the running yards need to be more than the passing yards, but if Atlanta does not respect the running game, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Texans to score points. It'll be interesting. I mean, one other point that I was going to make before we got to that on the offensive line too, because I've been a guy that said I don't like to play the musical chairs, but the one reason why I would go against that in this situation is for what you said. I need my five best linemen on the on the line, and if I got a guy that I feel is vulnerable, like I think Dieter is, then I can't take that risk because we're not protecting a, a third-round draft pick anymore and trying to hope that we see what he can do in Davis Mills. We're protecting our franchise right now, and he's the guy that has the keys and makes the engine go, and that I don't want to take any chances with, so you're right. I, I believe that's why they would put uh, Howard over on the left side and put Fant at the right, right tackle. 
Uh, in terms of the Atlanta defense, people forget this team has been laden with a lot of high picks. They have loaded up on young, talented players on both sides of the football, and they are fully capable of, uh, similar to the, the Texans' defensive uh, situation and their roster. You're going to see a lot of young guys flying around the field. You're going to see a lot of ability on this football field, and they can get in the backfield. And I think that Bobby Slowick is going to get creative because he's going to need to not only show the run, but he's going to have to keep them kind of off balance. So he's going to have more balance in his offense, but he's going to have to find more creative ways of doing it, like maybe even Singletary playing more of a role, kind of getting him out kind of on the edge and around out of the backfield as maybe you let some of that pass rush in. But I am interested to see how he handles it. I do think that the running game was as good as it's looked all year in this past win against Pittsburgh. Like, Damian Pierce started to look like a warm body a little bit in the backfield. Uh, I'm curious to see Devin Singletary, if he gets more carries, to see if this yards per carry average that's better uh, than Damian Pierce is legit. I'd like to see him get some more carries. But if you're adding a Laramie Tunsil, if you're adding a Titus Howard, even if their strengths are their pass blocking as opposed to, like, their run blocking, you still should elevate the overall running attack. And I think it's going to be critical uh, to to at least like show a pulse. Like I'm not saying it needs to outgain the passing yards, but Atlanta's really good on the uh, defensive end, especially through the air. And this is another like this is another opportunity for us to see C.J. Stroud and what he's capable of doing. Because all the, we we hear a bunch of excuses with C.J. Stroud, or maybe that's not the best way to put it. Like I think people move the goalposts when it comes to C.J. Stroud. Start of the season, well, you know he's just a rookie. Okay, well he passed the week one test for a rookie, held his head above water, and then it was week two whenever they they lost to the Colts. Well, you know he put up great numbers, but it was it was garbage time. You know, so it doesn't really matter. Then he goes out and wins a game. and say, well, you know he needs to do it. More more than once. He's got to do it multiple games before we start to believe. And then he goes and has a really good game against Pittsburgh, and now you're here, well, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. So, like, we keep moving the goalpost, I feel, as a city, as a fan base, on C.J. Stroud. Whoa, he's a rookie. Oh, it's garbage time. Oh, he's only done it once. Oh, well, you need to do it more than twice. This is another opportunity for C.J. Stroud to go out, play well against, I think, the best defense they face since Baltimore. Because if he passes this test, like, what were you moving the goalpost next week? I don't think that you can, because now it's three games in a row. Yeah, I look at it, you know, we do our golf scorecard, but I also look at it at almost like uh, a class in college. And, and you're getting these weekly tests. And these tests are barometers of our, you know, how much you're absorbing and picking up and how much you're able to regurgitate and, and show that you actually know what you're, what you're, you're studying. I think that with every test that he passes, people are looking for an, another thing to kind of try and, and, and hyper-analyze. And they can continue to do that. I don't think it worries him one bit because I, I think that he was built for this. This is what he wanted to do his whole life. And you can tell, like, in the internal clock and everything that goes on in his head, he understands how to play the position more so than I think anybody could have anticipated when he left Ohio State. And I think that... He looks forward to these challenges, and no matter how many times they move the goalpost, I think you're going to see more times than not, this kid's going to pass in Texas, in Chicago, in Illinois, and in Wisconsin. He's going to get a passing grade and a, and a very high one because I think that he's fully capable of doing anything that you know, handling anything that comes his way. What's the one thing the Texans have to do offensively, defensively, to move to three and two? Try to make it three in a row as they take on Atlanta on Sunday. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Todd Cal is going to join us here live at East River Nine. You should too. Behannon's already out here. Chewy's out here. Uh, a lot of our faithful is out here. We'd love to see you out at East River Nine too on what is a gorgeous day. Michael Rothstein of ESPN.com covers the Falcons. We'll go behind enemy lines with him at four thirty. 
30. Who said it? BZ Money, heavy Astros as well. Number one thing the Texans got to do to improve to 3-2 and two on Sunday. 713-780-3776. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Joel's at Pac-Man Joel on the Twitter. Joe is at Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. We're the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's Health. I was there bright and early this morning. I went to the Pearland location. Three locations to better serve you in your downtown Houston and now in League City as well. They take care of their customers and how they take care of you. I could go on and on, but if you go to ApolloMH.com, you can see all the services they offer. From getting more energy on a daily basis to handling the gym better and being able to chart your results to recovering quicker after you're done with the gym to all the different ways they have weight loss programs that can help you to get to feeling great again and feeling better about yourself on a daily basis. It's fantastic. Men and women in the lobby just like they were this morning, and they're all raving about the fact that they can get more energy from week to week, day to day, from everything from B12 shots to all the different ways that they can get you involved with hormone therapy. The gym stuff that I've told you about, recover quicker with HGH peptide therapy, or mention my name, Joel Blank, get a free B12 shot on your first visit for energy, or a body composition analysis, which charts all your numbers and can let you know, even when you feel like you're in a rut, you don't think you're making progress, hey, your body fat's down, hey, your muscle mass is up. Those are things that can motivate you and let you know that what you're doing is working and making a better you. Again, mention my name, you get you get a, a lot of different benefits, but they're going to get you either a B12 shot or a body comp, and I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I speak from, ex- from absolute experience, I am the perfect example to tell you, they have helped me a ton to feel better, to look better, and to know about going about my business better on a daily basis. Go see my people today at Apollo Men's Health. <laughs> ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Insert random audio clip now. I knew which vegetables went together, proteins, temperatures, sauces. And when somebody new came into the restaurant to stage, I'd look at them like they were a competition, like I'm going to smoke this mother. <laughs> On the northern bank of Buffalo Bayou, you'll find the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River Nine and its current occupants, the Killer Bees. Here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank on Branham. Todd Callis will be joining us here in uh, about 15 minutes or so. He's over at Minute Maid Park doing some real work. Uh, but what a beautiful day at East River Nine. They have the huge TV on the outside yeah. patio now, which is a great spot to uh, to watch a game. And now that it's like... Good weather, like today. Did you see the forecast for tomorrow? Yeah. Unbelievable. Like the highs in the upper 70s. Where did that come from? And then Sunday, like I said, it's going to be mid to upper 50s in the morning. And 70s That's all day. It's so going to be cool. perfect. Like, it was 100 degrees a week and a half ago. And now it's, the high is going to be in the 70s. So this is a spot, like, if you're looking for a place to, you know, watch the Red River, I'm calling it shootout. Uh, this is a good place for it. Of course, Astro Baseball as well. Uh, General Ben sponsoring today's live broadcast. I was going to well. suggest that they nicknamed the TV General Ben. Because, okay. you know, like Big Ben in London, yep. and we got General Ben, the, the, the glorious TV outside. I mean, I'm all for that. Any yeah. plugs I can give, you know that I'm, I'm good for a cheap plug every day. Johnny G then. was hooked on it this morning. What's that? The, the General Ben. What was he doing? I guess Ricky was out here and was feed, oh, really? filling him full of some spirits, and he was. They, uh, Lance called him Jeremy. He said, what are you, Jeremy now? <laughs> and he's like, hey, I can, yeah. I, can, I can get in on this. That's probably the biggest insult you could give John Granato. Call him Branham, 713-780-ESP. An injury report just came out for the Texans. Um, Josh? Jones, who I thought could be a factor if he was able to play. I didn't think he was going to play. Had surgery on a tendon on his hand. 
but it was listed as like a limited participant. The only way I feel that Titus Howard wasn't going to play left guard on Sunday is if for some reason Josh Jones was capable of going. He plays left guard, Titus plays right tackle, but Jones has been ruled out. There's another late scratch. A concussion has occurred. I don't know if this must have been at practice, but Christian Harris has been ruled out. Uh, Will not travel with the team. He is out. Josh Jones is out. Now, they are expected to get Denzel Perryman back, so that's good. Takes Harris' spot. Uh, Malik Collins is questionable with an abdomen. Shaq Griffin's questionable with a calf. And then Jake Hansen, a linebacker, special teams guy, questionable with a neck. Hopefully those guys can go. But, uh, yeah, Christian Harris, surprise scratch. That with hurts. That concussion. That does. Because he, uh, he didn't – honestly, I didn't think Christian Harris played very well first two, three weeks right. of the season. I agree with you. Against Pittsburgh was the best he's yep. looked by far. Yeah, he looked like the Christian Harris of a year ago where he was fitting back in and very active, athletic covering a lot of ground but you're right the first two weeks he was less than what he was last year and it was a bit concerning a lot of people were I had seen were, were kind of turning their back on him a little bit and wondering if he was a one-hit wonder well he, he resurfaced and looked good I think that hurts you a little bit with the linebacking core and, and you know when, when you look at the way this secondary has played Desmond Ritter's not very good but you still need to have your guys in the secondary and across the defense as well so I hope that's you know that's the extent of all the injuries that nothing else pops up and that everybody's good to go because uh, I really Really like the way the defense has played the last two weeks, and D'Amico's got him playing uh, again. Much we, how we give credit to Slowick, he's got him playing great schemes, uh, and, and they're all over the football field. All right, what about on the defensive side? We talked about some things offensively the Texans have to do to win three in a row: seven five four four stop Bijan, three three one six on the offensive side. So I think for the Texans to improve to three and two, they have to continue to pass protect well and run the ball. Can't continue to average two to three yards a touch. Facts. That's got to improve with the offensive line getting healthier. Uh, what about the defensive side? Obviously, you look at that offense and like there's some sexy skill position players on the Atlanta Falcons. Yes, they really are. I think you got to focus on Bijan Robinson because Ritter doesn't support, he doesn't scare me at all. I look at this kid and I was like, I know that he had a great college career. I know that there was some hope for him on the next level. Uh, he hasn't done a whole lot right, especially last week. He wasn't impressive at all. And I think that if you're the Texans and you're scheming and you're trying to get your defense on what to expect, I would expect a steady dose uh, of short passes and a whole lot of Bijan Robinson. And that's where I would focus my front seven. I I would get my, my defensive secondary, uh, my corners, to play a little bit more press coverage, play a little bit more up on them because I think that he's got to get the ball out. Uh, I don't think that, you know, he, it scares you when he has time, but I think he's going to try and get it out quicker. And I think Drake London and guys like that in short passing game is probably going to be what they're going to do to complement Robinson. This is a big test to see where the Texans' rush defense is. That was a, a huge bugaboo last year. Obviously, they're much improved because D'Amico Ryans is a good coach, and I think the talent's a little bit better as well than the whole Will Anderson factor. Uh, John Grenard's healthy, and he's playing well. This is going to be a big test to see how how much improved they are at stopping the run because they're going to do it from a variety of different ways. The Atlanta Falcons are the Tennessee Titans of the NFC. Arthur Smith with the OC at Tennessee, learned the Vrabel ways, learned having the bell, ca- the bell cow of Derrick Henry, moving the ball on the ground. They don't want to throw it a lot because they don't have a quarterback that's very good. It's also a way for them to make mistakes. I think they want to run the ball 40 times a game, whether it's Bijan Robinson getting 15 to 20, maybe even more, carries a game. Uh, the Tyler Algier kid last year as a rookie was – they had over 1,000 yards, didn't he? Yeah. Like yep. That's a guy that can play a little bit. And Cordero Patterson, they use him as kind of like the X-factor wild card of that offense, the you know guy who can do a little bit of everything. Debo, look, Debo type a little bit. Yeah, but very, very but poor But more run heavy, yeah. Yeah, very, very poor man. But he's just a, kind of electric. Like mm-hmm. He's pretty electric. 
But it also, like, whenever you stop paying attention to their passing attack, oh, there you go. There's Kyle Pitts, who can play. Now they don't utilize him a ton, but can play. Drake London can beat anybody, you know, as a receiver for the Atlanta Falcons as well. So I think the Houston Texans have their hands full in terms of let's see the litmus test of them being able to stop the run. Let's see if they are, like, dedicated to stopping this very run-heavy attack. If they can not get beat one-on-one coverages with Jake Drake London, Kyle Pitts, that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's an interesting challenge for the Texans on both sides of the football. I do, too. I, I think it's you know two of the younger teams in the NFL for the most part. I think it's a really good test for this Texans team coming off two wins uh, to go onto the road to take a team that, not that I'm going to say they're a mirror image because I think offensively, like you mentioned, I think it's different in terms of schematically, systematically, what they want to do and how they want to get to it. But there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, minus the quarterback, in my opinion, in Atlanta. and you So there's a lot to test that young defense on. It's going to be a lot of fun matchups to watch, and I'm really interested to see how this team reacts on the road, uh, and hopefully they're not too full of what happened in the last two weeks and didn't drink too much Kool-Aid, and they're ready to go out and, and make a statement on the road. The vibes of this team just so much different. Like, I don't remember having a point last year where we're like, you know, we're super excited for the Texans to play on Sunday. Like, yeah, you're going to watch them. You're going to see, okay, can Davis Mills prove me wrong? Okay, can, you know, Damian Pierce run for 100 yards? Like, those are the small storylines you had last year, but half the city, probably more than half the city, quite frankly, was rooting for the Texans to lose on Sundays so they could, you know, suck for whoever you wanted at the top of the draft. It's such a different vibe around this year's team, whether it's the fan base not wanting the Texans to lose on Sundays, whether it's the fact that you have competent coaching, which the Texans do with D'Amico. I think Bobby Slowick has kind of proven how good he is as an offensive coordinator the last couple of weeks as well. And then you have a legitimate quarterback. Like, you don't have to sit there and watch Davis Mills throw the ball 30 times a game. Now you have a C.J. Stroud and you see all these, like, quarterback gurus of the world, like the J.T.O. Sullivan, the quarterback school guy. I saw one from Kurt Warner earlier this morning. Jordan Palmer did one, and they're all salivating about the Houston Texans quarterback. That never happened last year. No one was ever like having any sort of expectations for Davis Mills, and now all of a sudden not only has this team with this vibe like caught the attention. Let's, let's use that because I think it's soft enough without making the super hyperbolic take. They've caught attention to the city but they've also caught the attention of the national football landscape. I think that's the greatest thing about all of this is how many times we said as much as we were subjected to watching every single play and just waiting for the train wreck and waiting for the next negative thing to happen, we knew this year it was different. We knew when D'Amico was hired and we, we felt the attitude change and we saw a different kind of mentality for all the players. And then we saw C.J., But as much as when those two words came out of any national prognosticator and broadcaster on football talked about Houston Texans, it was always a laughing stock, a running joke, a way to, you know, crap on them in some way, shape, or form. And now it seems like starting this week, it's been the the hip and cool thing to talk about because they're the sexy team in the NFL. They're the team that everybody's paying attention to. They're the surprise. We talked about it yesterday. And it starts with CJ, but it's across the board. It's... It's a new day that has dawned in Houston Texans football where everybody nationally and locally looks at, hey, they're not Super Bowl contenders, but there's not a whole lot wrong with this team as opposed to the last three years when 
just give any, anybody 15 to 30 seconds and you could point out two or three things that were a negative about the Houston Texans. Yeah, it makes me super elated to watch the Texans each and every week. 8532, is it fair to say that uh, Texans fans didn't want Stroud initially but wanted Young and now everyone loves Stroud? I don't think that there was anti Stroud. Uh, like, I, this is pre draft. This is before you lost to Indianapolis. This is before you blew the opportunity at the number one pick. I, I don't feel like it was anti Stroud. I felt like it was just over the top pro Bryce Young. Yeah. I think it went from we want to be in a position to pick whoever we want and then let our our staff evaluate the talent in the draft to get the best quarterback possible. I think after you lost to Indy and solidified you weren't getting the number one pick, it was, oh, God, we're not going to get the guy that a lot of people had billed as the only guy in this draft that was franchise quarterback worthy. And now it's the surprise of everybody and much to the chagrin of a lot of people that were evaluating, saying, you know what? Prognosticators and evaluators can be wrong, too. And it looks like it was a blessing what happened in the final game of the regular season because now the best quarterback in the draft fell right in your lap. I think everybody wanted Bryce, though, before you knew your draft pick. I agree. Like, before you knew that you were picking second, before the Week 18 game against the Colts, everybody wanted Bryce Young. Everybody was upset that they won that game because it – they, it costs you Bryce Young, and yeah, uh, I think a lot of people have flipped and think that C.J. Stroud's way better than Bryce Young, and I think that, that's a conversation that's being like an opinion that's also held nationally, quite frankly, where Stroud has jumped Bryce, and it's pretty clear that he's jumped uh, Bryce. And, I, and admittedly, I was, I was worried about C.J. Stroud with the country club lifestyle at Ohio State, and by that I mean he has first-round receiver, first-round receiver, first-round receiver, a bunch of first-round offensive linemen. I was scared about him making the jump to the NFL, and admittedly, I, I wasn't on Stroud early. I, I got either. here as fast as I could. I had, I had a lot of apprehension. I, I didn't know if and or when it was going to click for him, and I was curious like how much – of a struggle it would be in his first year. Four weeks in, if you'd have told me we'd be at 2-2, two and two, he wouldn't have an interception. He'd be playing the way he's playing. I never would have believed it, but I am so glad that I was wrong and so happy to see for this franchise, for this city, for the for the fans that love football in Houston, that this team and this quarterback is where they are. Killer Bees broadcasting live from East River 9. Get on down here. Presenting sponsor today, Gentle Ben, for today's live broadcast as well. Todd Cowell is going to join us here pretty soon. Also, Minute Maid Park, where does it stack up with the remaining ballparks around Major League Baseball in terms of how lit it gets on game day. 713-780-ESPN. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that always has energy and excitement, some college football on a Thursday night. And that happens next Thursday as the Houston Cougars resume Big 12 play as they host West Virginia. The showdown of the year almost here. Coach Hogerson taking on his former team Thursday, October 12th at 6 p.m. at TDECU Stadium. Houston Cougars taking on the West Virginia Mountaineers. Expect an unforgettable night of college football action under the lights, and the weather should be outstanding next Thursday. It's our blackout game, and we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. You get a ticket and a black T-shirt for just $20 right now at uhcougars.com slash blackoutwvu. That's uhcougars.com slash blackoutwvu. You don't want to miss out on the game. You don't want to miss the pageantry and fun of college football. Get there early. Enjoy tailgating. Everybody loves tailgating. You don't have a spot, well, Houston will take care of you at Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, a huge LED TV screen, the Bud Light backyard, and much, much more. Spirit of Houston performing at the half. Entertainment by cheerleaders, Cougar Dolls, Shasta, and Sasha. Get a ticket in a black t-shirt right now for just $20. Special expires on Sunday, so act fast. Get yours now. Go to uhcougars.com 
slash blackout wvu uhcougars.com slash blackout wvu come early be loud and wear black don't miss astros playoff baseball it's gone the second home run of the ball game for kyle tucker live tomorrow on espn 97.5 and 92.5 Now return you to the Killer Bees, live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River Nine. Here are your bees, Joel Crank and Laramie Cranham. I haven't heard that one in a while. He's Blank on Brandon. We're broadcasting live East River Nine. Presenting sponsor, Gentle Ben. We're being joined now by Todd Callis, the TV voice of the Houston Astros. Todd, thanks for hanging out with us. You're here in person, not just your voice. <laughs> I can see you're a human being. Yeah. Uh, just rolled in. I was over at the uh, press conferences at Minute Maid Park, so got to check those out. And the Twins are working out right now. The Astros worked out earlier. So, yeah, this is cool. My first time here. I like it. Yeah, it's a good spot. How are the vibes over at uh, Minute Maid Park today? They're good. Uh, you know, the Astros have been there, done that. It's kind of newish for the, a lot of the twins, other than Carlos Correa and a few others. But, uh, you know, Carlos is, is the true leader of that team. He got them here. He helped get them here. Uh, he's finally getting back towards 100% health. I think it's going to be a tough series. The twins have some good pitching. Um, pitching can win in the postseason, especially in a short series, five games. So we'll see how it plays out. Astros need to get that first one tomorrow for sure. Yeah, Todd, I look at it and, and I look at this Twins team, and everybody's obviously focused on the leader and Carlos Correa. Royce Lewis is a hell of a talent. <laughs> and, and this guy, when healthy, has shown why he was the number one overall pick in the draft a few years back. But that's a different ball club with him in the middle of the lineup. And I think as much as the Astros, when they played the Royals towards the end of the season, kind of just didn't think Bobby Witt Jr. was the guy that they had to pitch around that they had to worry about, and he got him a couple times. I think that's the guy, if you're the Astros and the pitching staff, you really got to focus on. Yeah, hard to argue with that. He is a, he's a stud. Um, not sure if he's going to play the field or not. I know he's going to take some grounders today to see how that goes, but still not running 100% with that hamstring injury. Uh, but he is, a, he is a weapon. He is definitely a weapon. He helped propel them to a victory in game one against the Blue Jays. They will have to watch him for sure in that lineup, but uh, they remind me slightly of Baltimore in that, you know, they, they've got pieces one through nine. They don't rely too heavily on one guy. But, yeah, if you're going to focus on one guy, uh, Royce Lewis isn't a bad guy to start with. That lineup's interesting, too. They, they strike out a lot, but they hit a lot of home runs. It, it seems like in playoff baseball, home runs always are significant, right? But that three-run homer in playoff baseball just feels a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it's a short series especially. You, you get out. If they get that first game, if Minnesota gets that first game tomorrow against JV, then – They've used up their number three or four starter in Bailey Ober while they have their one and twos lying in wait. Uh, excellent pitchers in Pablo Lopez and also Sonny Gray. So, yeah, if, you, if they get that first one, that's why, you know, you, everyone wants to win game one, but it's even more imperative for the Astros to win game one. JV will give up his share of home runs. We know that. But the Twins hit home runs, but they also give up a lot of home runs. And hopefully the Astros end up with more big flies tomorrow in a place where they haven't played their best baseball all year. But, uh, postseason could be a different animal to, for sure. Todd, we kicked it around a little bit until we saw the actual rotation set up for the, the early games in the series, thinking that Fromber might be the guy that gets the ball in game one, and Dusty went to his trusted veteran and went to Justin Verlander. Any surprise from you in terms of who would be one, who would be two? I didn't I didn't really think there was a definitive answer there. I, I thought they could have gone either way. Uh, certainly the Twins have a lot of lefties, so you think maybe the lefty Fromber gets the start. But Justin, get, JV this year, has pitched well against lefties. I think his splits are even better against lefties and righties this season. So 
Uh, Dusty's an old school guy. He is always going to lean towards the veteran. Uh, I think you know those. We're, they're going to have to decide between one of those two guys if it gets to a game five. And, and I think JV probably will still get the ball game five. I think the good news too was if you looked at. And we kept saying, biggest game of the year, biggest game of the year. But Justin's last two starts were in really, really big situations. And he came out looking really, really good. So I'm sure that didn't hurt Dusty's decision. Yeah, huge games in Seattle. And then again uh, in the final series in Arizona where, where JV pitched both of those series. Fromber only pitched the first game in, in uh, the second game in Seattle, didn't pitch in Arizona. So even though Fromber's more rested, I, I, JV obviously with that time off with the AL, not having to play the AL wildcard series, he's ready to go. Uh, you lead on experience, and the fact that he finished strong is kind of a probably, if there was a debate, probably tipped the scales in, in Verlander's favor. Todd Callis joining us live at East River 9. Todd, you kind of talk about the rotation a bit. Justin Verlander at the top, Frommer game two. They haven't announced a game three, game four starter. I, I think we all kind of guess that it's going to be Christian Javier in game three. I know Dana Brown had the comments that Arquiti's going to be out of the pin in the games at Minute Maid Park. Any guess, I guess, hypothesis of what the Astros would do in a game four should they get there? I think it could be a piggyback between two of the three guys, either Urquidy, J.P. France, or Hunter Brown. Um, the, the rosters don't have to come out till tomorrow. That's going to be interesting to see who's left off that roster because there's going to be somebody who is expecting to pitch in the postseason is probably going to be left off that roster. Uh, but two of those three guys will probably be a piggyback scenario. I don't think you'll see anybody pitch five innings in a game four situation, but um, hopefully we don't get there. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I, think what, I think you'll see a piggyback in game four and then probably JV back here game five if necessary. Todd, we look at the – you've been our resident Michael Brantley expert uh, <laughs> late in the season since he came back. And, you know, when he plays, it's a different offense. He, he is different, and, and they are obviously putting a lot of crooked numbers up when he plays. There was concerns. We're being told he's 100%. Will he stay 100%? Do you see him right away game one starting lineup, and, or is he going to be, you know, only against righties? How do you think they're going to use Michael Brantley getting into the postseason? Yeah, so that's the big question because tomorrow, more than likely, Mauricio Dubon, Dubon's going to be in center field with Ferrell. Lander pitching, so then it's who's your left fielder and who's your DH. Jordan's going to be one of those two spots, so then you're choosing between Michael or Chaz. Uh, that's going to be a really, really tough decision for Dusty and the staff tonight when they go through that lineup. I think it's all righties for the Twins, uh, no matter who it's going to be. Joe Ryan would be game four if they get to a game four, but the first three are going to be Ober, Lopez, and Gray. Those are all righties, and then Ryan also a righty. So from that standpoint, I think you're going to see Michael Brantley play at least two of the first three games. I doubt he'll play all three, uh, but whether that's one or three will have to remain to be seen. But, um, yeah, it's a tough call for Dusty. I, you can't – you can't go wrong, you can't go right picking Michael or Chaz based on the year McCormick's had. Half the fan base will be upset. Half the fan yeah, base will right. defend him. That's how it's uh, with every lineup that comes out with Dusty Baker, certainly. what The, the 26th man on this roster I find to be very interesting because I don't think you have this problem in the ALCS if you get there, a World Series if you get there, because you're going to keep that 13th pitcher. Most times the ALDS teams will keep the 12th pitcher instead of that 13th guy. I, I'm thinking that the Astros might keep an extra pitcher because of the, the piggyback that you mentioned. There's not maybe a great option for the, the 14th position player. I'm fascinated to see what that 26-man roster looks like tomorrow. Yeah, me too. It's it's not necessary, as you said, usually in a five-game series because you have two days off. So you only play five games in a seven-day span. You usually don't need that 13th pitcher. Uh, you go with three and a half, four starters, plus that extra guy as the, as the bulk guy in the bullpen. So, um it's a tough call. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's going to be somebody 
whether it's one of those three guys that I figure two are going to be piggybacks or whether it's a guy like a Ryan Stanek, uh, if they do go with 12 pitchers, one of those guys would be left off. If they go with 13, they'd all be available to be on the roster. So uh, it's a tough call. We'll have to see how that plays out tomorrow. But in the in the past, I would say 14 and 12 was the better mix. Yeah. But this year it might be a 13 and 13. Singleton is probably the other guy kind of on the fence with all this because if you have Mike and you have Yiner coming off the bench or however you get decide to use those guys, we had talked about, are they going to go the pitcher route? Are they going to go Singleton? I would think they go the pitcher route, and then Singleton's the odd man out. But I'm curious if you think that there's a chance that Singleton would be there. Yeah, I do. Uh, Dusty loves having a lefty off the bench, and if Michael plays, he's the lone lefty off the bench. But then who do you go with? Uh, you know, Kessinger's got to be your backup middle infielder. Jake Myers has been there all year, and he can provide you some speed and some defense at the end of the game. So it would seem to be Singleton if, it, if they do go to one fewer guy on the, on the bench, but I know how much Dusty loves having that lefty. So it may not be as cut and dry as people think. Minnesota's going to go with Bailey Ober. You mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, TK, it's a little bit of a surprise, at least for me. I thought it was going to be Joe Ryan. But Bailey Ober gets the nod, 8-6 and six with a 343 ERA. Looking at him a little bit earlier, he's a big boy, 6'9", yeah. 260 pounds, but he doesn't throw overly hard. Hadn't faced the Astros since 2021, so the Astros haven't seen him in a while. What, what are the Astros getting in Ober? I know you haven't prepped them because you haven't seen him in a while, but what does he bring to the table? Yeah, I haven't done all my work on Ober, but well, – what you say is accurate. He hasn't faced them since 21. I think that was part of the equation for Rocco Baldelli uh, to name him the starter because they haven't seen him recently. They did hit around Joe Ryan earlier this year. So I think when it came down to it, Rocco said he hadn't made the decision until earlier today. And that's why he didn't tell Bailey over to about half an hour before his press conference. So um, I, I think the Twins were debating up until today whether it's going to be Joe Ryan who was slated to go game three if the Toronto Blue Jays won that second game. Uh, now Ryan would be slated for game four, it looks like. Uh, Ober's a guy that doesn't throw overly hard, but both times he pitched against the Astros in 21, he pitched pretty well. Um, he's a guy that has been up and down this year a little bit, didn't make the opening day roster, got sent down later in the season, and, and seems to have a good attitude going into this series after not being on the wild card series. He kind of knew the process that he wasn't going to pitch against Toronto, and they were possibly saving him for the Astros, and uh, he seemed pretty confident and ready to go tomorrow, and he said it's something he's, dream- he's dreamed about his whole life is a pitch in the postseason. So uh, it's going to be a great stage for him going against Justin Verlander in front of a sold-out Minute Maid Park crowd. Yeah, the importance huge, like you mentioned, game one, especially the, the Twins played that wild card series. Todd's going to hang out with us for one more segment broadcasting live at East River 9. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Dude. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. We now return you to the Killer Bees, live in the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at East River Nine. Here are the bees' knees. Nuts! Joe Blank and Jeremy Brenham. Todd Callis joining us live at East River 9. I'm not going to ask Todd who his favorite killer bee is. <laughs> a certain guy who may have been the general manager in the offseason. Uh, Todd, tell us a little bit about the uh, the regular season. I, be, I know the playoff baseball starts tomorrow. All the attention is there. But a regular season that was up and down. You still win the division, though. You had a dramatic finish in order to do so. You won your last four. You sweep Arizona, another playoff team. When you look back at this regular season, what are some thoughts you have about the Strohs? 
Yeah, it was scary down the stretch. There was a lot of anxiety that final week, uh, even with two days to go. Seattle, Texas, the Astros all could have been in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, or the wild card or the division winner. So uh, that's a lot of stress going in. I was, you know, feeling all these other years we kind of had a little cakewalk the final week or two, and this year uh, they really had to battle to get in thanks to their own doing, not playing well at home, not playing well against Kansas City in particular or Oakland. Uh, during that stretch of 12 games, play, facing the Royals six times and the A's three times. So, to me, it was a team that turned it on and turned it off a little bit, and they turned it on at the right time, and that bodes well for the playoffs because if they are a team that can kind of show up and not have their best intensity against the Kansas City team, but they do against Seattle and Arizona when it mattered the most, obviously the intensity is going to be there for the playoffs, you would think. Todd, I'm curious, as we talk about that, we saw – a big free agent signing with Jose Abreu. We saw him struggle, and we didn't know if this was just kind of like him on the downside or what was going on. Then we heard about the back problem. You watched him every every night, day in, day out. There has been a difference that people are now talking about of after he got off that stint on the IL where he rested the back and since he's come back. And, and we can look at the series in Arizona when he was a one-man wrecking crew. How big of a difference have you seen in what Abreu is now as opposed to what he was for the majority of the season? Yeah, it was big to see him finish up like that because it was still going to be his worst year no matter what, even if he finished strong like he did in September. Uh, just never got going up until that final month. Uh, a little bit better since coming off the IL. He's still a guy that seems like he, he he needs a day off here and there, and I think the fact that you get in the playoffs, you play two, you're off, you play two, you're off, that's going to help him out. Uh, but, yeah, he was a guy, even when he was struggling April through you know August, he's a guy that kept driving in runs, especially with two outs. He was up there batting average runners in scoring position, two outs. As bad as he was struggling, he still was that same RBI machine that he was in the past in limited opportunities because he didn't hit very well. Uh, so 90 RBIs, as bad as it was for him, if, if your worst year is a 90 RBI year, that's still not too shabby. You get the uh, the old debate nowadays, the wild card series new to baseball, new-ish to baseball, and you have the, the debate of rest versus rust. Frankly, for me, I want nothing to do with a wild card series. Your season can be over in two games. Now, it is not natural for a baseball team to have five days off without playing real games. What, what side of the rest versus rust do you land? Uh, it, you can make a case for both sides. I think this year's team in particular, you have to take it year by year. This year's team in particular needed the rest. They were kind of gassed going into that final uh, day in Arizona. I think their bullpen was gassed a little bit. Presley was not, obviously not available that last day. So they needed the rest. So this year I think you definitely want the rest as opposed to the rest. You want the rest and you don't worry about the rust. Uh, but that was always my concern going in once they added this wild card round was how do you do that and keep it fair to the teams that are going to be resting the whole time. But Astros figured it out last year. The Braves did not. The Dodgers did not in the long run. Uh, so will, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year. I think if a lot of number one seeds can, or two seeds continue to get knocked out, then, then teams are going to say, well, maybe it's not that bad if we play in the wild card series. But to your point, you can get knocked out in two days. You don't have Sonny Gray or you don't have Pablo Lopez if you're the Twins available for game one. So, yeah, I'll take the rest any day. I'm curious too, Todd, looking at this team, what you think the biggest factor is for success for the Astros? Because we know starting pitching has been an issue all season long, and it's been a, a, a variety of different guys in and out and losing guys for the season. But the defense was uncharacteristically not what it was in years past. And you know that every mistake is magnified come playoff time. Uh, if you were to say one key for the Astros to be successful in this series and beyond that you'll be looking at, what might that be? 
Yeah, I, I think defense is part of it, but I think defense helping out your starting pitching. I think if they get a lead to the bullpen, they're in really good shape, even though there have been blips on the radar this year with Montero and others. I think for the most part, this has been a bullpen that's gotten the job done down the stretch. So for me, if you get your starters to give the ball to the bullpen with a lead, and part of being a starter giving your ball to the, bull, or giving your ball to the bullpen with a lead late is if you have good defense behind you, it helps you get through six instead of five. It helps you get through six and a third instead of five and two-thirds. So the, the defense has to shore up. The defense this year was middle of the road, which isn't usually where the Astros are, but they were right near the top in unearned runs. So every mistake they made was a critical mistake. So uh, they need to tighten up their defense. They know they didn't play their best defensively this year, and that needs to be part of the equation. But starting pitching and defense go hand-in-hand, hand, and that to me is the key. As long as that's good, they should be fine. Todd Callis joining us out at East River 9. I look at the back end of this Twins bullpen, and how can you not be impressed with Yoan Duran? This guy is filthy. It's got to be one of the filthiest guys in all of baseball. He might be. I, we saw Felix Bautista earlier, and the Astros were able to get to him. But between Bautista, who's not healthy anymore, unfortunately, for the Orioles, and Duran, I think you're talking about two of the most intimidating and best closers in the game. Duran has that incredible fastball at 100 plus but he also has a breaking ball that's his best pitch usually a guy who has a 100 plus mile an hour fastball does not have a pitch that's actually better than that but he does so late in the game if the twins have a lead and they hand the ball off to him it's going to be a challenge for the astros so uh hopefully they can get to the to the twins starters or their bullpen before duran has a chance to finish it off you've been in enough uh, games a uh, playoff game situation seen enough major league baseball to know how important the bullpen is coming into the playoff series any playoff series but you also know that kind of like what you were saying a lot of times you want that quality start you want that starter to get you into the sixth and then the bullpen can take over from there we know in playoff baseball managers can go to the bullpen as early as we saw in this in this minnesota uh wild card series where toronto went to the bullpen before you took out one of their studs before they even got to the fifth inning do you see any changes in the bullpen in the backside like abreu maybe being used in a more high leverage situation maybe earlier in the game or shifting around the the kind of mainstay we're used to of the seventh being Naris, the eighth being Abreu, and the ninth being Presley. I think you're going to see some guys shift earlier, but I don't think you're going to see Abreu and Presley shift earlier. I think it might be a Naris. It could be, you know, Graven, Maton, whoever they choose to go earlier, whether it's a fourth, fifth, sixth inning situation instead of a seventh. Uh, But I think they're going to probably keep Abreu eight, Naris 9. Now, having said that, if it gets to a critical juncture in the series where you're down 2-1 and you need a big out in the sixth inning, uh, maybe that's where an Abreu factors in. But uh, as I said earlier, Dusty's kind of old school. I don't think you're ever going to see uh, like a Blake Snell situation or a Jose Barrio situation with the Astros where Verlander's only going uh, you know, right. two times through the lineup or Fromber's only going to go two times through the lineup. Dusty has ridden those guys in the past. He's going to ride those guys in the postseason. Even if the analytics say he should only go two times through the lineup, which I can't imagine for one of those two guys. Uh, Dusty's going to err on the side of believing in a starter. On the flip side of that, do you see an op- we saw it in that last series or series when he was trying to get extra extra outs out of those guys. Maybe a Naris, maybe an Abreu, maybe being used more than an inning. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, he tried to bridge, I, I guess, three of those guys for yeah. four innings. One of those games, uh, probably in Seattle, I believe. But Finale. yeah. The finale the in fin- Seattle. Yeah, finale yeah. in Seattle. So I could see that in a playoff scenario, asking those three guys, Naris, Abreu, Presley, to get 12 outs. But again, it's probably more likely in game three or four than in game one. You don't want to start to tax your guys 
first game out of the gates. Todd Callis joining us uh, live at East River 9 in the flesh. Uh, Space City Home Network, uh, the yeah. new home for Astros baseball. We aren't accustomed to seeing you much in the postseason. <laughs> Are we going to see more of you this postseason? Yeah, uh, the only time you would see me is in line for beverage uh, <laughs> down in the left field corner, usually near, near St. Arnold's. But, yeah, I would say this year you'll probably see me on the air and not in the beer lines especially. <laughs> uh, so it's cool. Blummer, Julia, and myself. Julia has always kind of been involved either – through the Astros' social media. She's always been involved postseason. But this year, Blummer and I are going to be, when the team's on the road, we're going to host out of the out of the uh, Space City Home Network studios, and then Julia's going to be traveling with the team. And then where the, when they're home, Blummer and I are going to be at the stadium here at Minute Maid Park, but we're going to do like a couple of segments from the stadium, uh, and then they're going to host from the studio Kevin Eschenfelder and either Mike Stanton or Brian Bogusevic and Michael Bourne, Clay Hensley, one of those analysts. So uh, I'm excited. We've never been a part of the postseason coverage in the past. Um, Mostly I'm just excited to be a part of the new network that is trying to uh, find more programming than we found in the past. That was never a thing under AT&T. So uh, it's going to bode well for Astros fans. It's going to bode well for us. We get to be more a part of of the postseason than just being a fan of the crowd. I was going to say, because when, when we first started all that, when I was still with the Rockets and we started Comcast Sportsnet Houston, 40% 40% of the city couldn't get Astros or Rockets, and they had local programming all the time. The refreshing thing is getting now with the, the up-and-coming Rockets, but more so how great the Astros have been, to get that extra kind of programming that people are dying for to see more of, not just in the playoffs, but all season long. The fact that you have that local ownership and that stability, even for you guys, makes a big difference to the fans and everybody involved. Yeah, and, and I know uh, inside story here that when I was interviewing for the job, and we did got through all the interviews, and they said, do you have any questions for us? And my one question was, what's our situation if we get to the postseason? And they said, well, at that point, we pretty much uh, we're done. We focus it on the Rockets, and, and our season's over after game 162. And I was, that was of all the things that I went through in the interview, that was the only disappointment is that, you know, every team I've been with in the past, once you get to the playoffs, the TV crew is still involved in some way. So I'm happy to be involved finally in our seventh year and hopefully many more years That's beyond great. this. But it was, it was tough sitting out those first six years for sure. Yeah, I bet. Bet. Don't, uh, don't always believe what, everything you read on the Internet, but the rumor is that you're doing the play ball chant before <laughs> game one. One, is this true? Two, have you started practicing your play ball? We've done it before. Oh, okay. All so right. we're part of the hype crowd tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be the three of us. And yeah, we're we're we'll hopefully get, uh, the place doesn't need much to ignite it, so we'll probably just be a small little match to to get that place lit up. But we're gonna we're gonna fire up some fans tomorrow before pitch one, and I can't wait to be uh, on the field and on the mic and get ready for that first pitch from JV. I was gonna say the one thing that we've been dealing with is people worried about that hangover of that home field disadvantage. I said it's going to be a different atmosphere. Playoffs in Houston for baseball are raucous and ridiculous. I would assume you feel the same way. There shouldn't be nothing to worry about. Yeah, and the one thing that has impressed me more than anything about this run is Astros fans bring it every year. Like, you can be a little bit complacent when you go six years in a row, especially when you go to the ALCS. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of postseason money out of people's wallets. Uh, that's a lot of yelling. And, and to bring the energy – Every series from every year since 2017, I'll even go back to the 15 uh, wildcard series against the Royals, 
to bring it all those years, it's impressive. To me, there's been no drop-off. Obviously, winning it all last year doesn't hurt, but there's been no drop-off for six years. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to take in some playoff baseball. Enjoy it tomorrow. Thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us here in person. Yeah, good to be with you guys in person. Thanks for having me. It's Todd Callis, TV voice of the Houston Astros, and you can see him uh, throughout the postseason as well. It's Killer Bees broadcasting live from East River 9 on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 are proud to bring you every Houston Astros playoff game this postseason. The Houston Astros have won the World Series. That's right. Join us live in beautiful FM Fidelity to catch every exciting inning of Astros playoff baseball and get legitimate analysis from the best lineup in Houston sports radio. Astros playoff baseball live on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. And the party is on here in Houston.